This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, I want to thank everybody. This has been some period of time, and most importantly... We want to thank the great people of Iowa. Thank you. We love you all. What a turnout. What a crowd. That's right. The Iowa caucuses are over. And at the top of the ticket, the result is the one that most people expected. Donald Trump scored 51 percent of the vote, with the Associated Press calling that race just a half an hour after voting began. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ended up in second with former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley right behind him in close third. It was the first contest in the Republican presidential nominating race. Next week, the race moves on to New Hampshire, of course. And between now and then, we might learn if Donald Trump's claims of immunity hold up in court or whether the federal criminal trial over an attempted coup in 2020 is back on track to take place before the 2024 election. And all of that really, really matters as this race goes forward. But what do the results in Iowa tell us about this Republican field? And what is the state of the Republican Party? And why does it matter that Iowa, at least for Republicans, still goes first in this contest? I'm Todd Zwillick, in for Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll get to all that and more right after the break. So stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. All right, let's get into our caucus recap now. Joining us from Iowa is Sophia Kai. She's a national politics reporter at Axios. Sophia, it's your first time on 1A, so welcome. Thank you. Great to have you here. Also with us is McKay Coppins, not his first time on 1A. He's a staff writer at The Atlantic and author of the great book, Romney, A Reckoning. McKay, great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. So, Sophia, you're on the ground there in Iowa. Give us your take on the results and what you saw. I mean, look, in the lead up to the uh, caucus night, we saw Trump's team that really lowered expectations. His campaign manager, Chris Lasavita, reminded us that the largest that any Republican uh, had run in a primary uh, was by 12.8 percent. And right before the caucuses had uh, started, I spoke to Don Jr., who told me a successful night would look like 
How about just to win?、Uh, and so they really worked really hard、uh, to lower those expectations. So did Nikki Haley. So did Ron DeSantis, who、uh, his team called him always an underdog.、Um, and as it turned out,、um, it was a real blowout uh, for uh, former President Trump.、Um, and you know, as it turns out,、uh, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis—they're both making the case why they're still the best to take on、uh, Donald Trump. But that case is now much harder to make. Yeah, there was a lot of spin. Third place is actually a win. All the rest. To that, we'll get to it. Here's Ron DeSantis, who got 21% of the vote in Iowa.、Um, I get lowering expectations, but I think he was well below them. Here's DeSantis. They were predicting、uh, that we wouldn't be able、uh, to get our ticket punched here out of Iowa, but I can tell you, because of your support, in spite of all of that that they threw at us, everyone against us, we've got our ticket punched out of Iowa. <laughs> Ticket punched. McKay in years past, twenty-one percent in Iowa would be really healthy and really strong. But that's only in a world where the guy ahead of you doesn't get fifty-one percent, like a majority of the caucus electorate. Right. I mean, trailing by thirty points is a weird position to be giving kind of this、uh, big victory speech. But you know, I, I mean, look, I, I think that DeSantis has a claim to you know、uh, being able to move on in this race. So does Nikki Haley. I think if you're Trump, this is kind of the ideal scenario, right? You had a commanding lead、uh, going into the caucuses. You won, and you and your two main rivals ha- had just good enough performances that they're going to stick around and continue to split the rest of the vote. And that that's how Trump won in 2016. That's what Trump has been banking on in 2020. It, th- he's coming from a much bigger position of strength this time because, like you said, fifty-one percent of the vote. I mean, it, that that's Iowa is a uniquely kind of Trumpy state. But I will say, like, if he's winning fifty over fifty percent of the vote, it's hard to see a path for somebody to beat him. Vivek Ramaswamy、um, did poorly last night. Suspended his campaign. Endorsed Trump.、Um, we'll see if the campaign misses him.、Uh, one of you sent us this text. Read the Iowa caucuses. As an independent, the field is disappointing. The Republican frontrunner absolutely can't be trusted. I have for decades tried to find examples of leadership. The typical voter today, by choice, doesn't want a leader. They vote for the individual who only tells them what they want to hear. Well, speaking of telling people what they want to hear, McKay, you brought up evangelicals. I want to drill down on this a little bit. You mentioned that Donald Trump lost Iowa in 2016. To Ted Cruz, largely because of evangelicals, that's true. But he hasn't just captured evangelicals; he's he's made some swings into full Christian nationalism in this campaign. It was on full display in Iowa. His campaign cut a video that Trump released on Truth Social, and it was played to crowds at campaign rallies in Iowa. And on June fourteenth, nineteen forty-six, God looked down on His planned paradise and said, "I need a caretaker." So God gave us Trump. God gave us Trump, McKay. What? Is this in the in the GOP base? This message, how important is it now? So I was at a, a rally in Iowa a couple weeks ago where this video was shown, and I was struck by the reverence with which the audience、uh, greeted this this video. And you you can look up the whole thing online. <clears throat>、um, it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, it is essentially a messianic message.、Um, Uh, arguing、uh, essentially that Donald Trump was、uh, ordained and sent by God to save America、um, at this moment, and you know the, it's interesting because this has often been kind of the、um, 
the subtext of Donald Trump's campaign in 2016 and in 2020, right, um, as he was uh, gradually winning over the religious right, this was the idea that, you know, he was an imperfect vessel for uh, to, to accomplish God's will. He, he is now his campaign has now made it text. And the, the way that his audience responded to it, at least in Mason City, Iowa, the rally I was at, uh, was really striking. I mean, people had their hands up in the receiving gesture that you will see sometimes at evangelical churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were taking videos. They were applauding rapturously. They see Donald Trump as a a God-appointed savior of America. McKay, if, if, if he's a God-appointed savior of America and is ordained to take this office by God, what does that make Democrats in this worldview? Well, you know, uh, evil, uh, con- you know, pe- pe- enemies of God's plan. And I think that it, this is important to understand only in the sense that, uh, you know, when we saw what we saw on January 6th was motivated by this sentiment. And I think it's an important one to keep an eye on. We got this text from a listener who says, I believe the Iowa caucus has little, if any, effect on the final outcome. I also believe that all of the candidates, Republican and Democrat, are unfit to lead our nation at this juncture in our history. Well, coming up, we're looking ahead to New Hampshire, also looking ahead to Donald Trump's legal issues because he is back in court. Back with more in just a moment. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Stanford Medicine Children's Health. Their nationally recognized pediatric diabetes and endocrinology program has a long tradition of providing quality clinical care and cutting-edge research. Their expert pediatric endocrinology team offers the very best for patients with endocrine and metabolic disorders. Stanford Medicine Children's Health. Access to excellence. Learn more at stanfordchildrens.org. This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana, who wants you to know that you can shop for your next car the convenient way, 100% online with Carvana. Carvana has thousands of vehicles that'll fit all sorts of budgets. Visit Carvana.com to shop for vehicles the convenient way. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Let's get back to our conversation now. Uh, Sophia, before we took a breath there, McKay was talking about his experience observing the received divinity of Donald Trump. Did you experience anything like that? What did you see on the trail when it comes to Christian nationalism and the imbuing of Donald Trump with divine qualities? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with McKay. Uh, And, you know, in Iowa, even though Donald Trump didn't have the support of Iowa's most prominent evangelical leader, Bob Vanderplatz, he had the uh, the support of a lot of uh, a lot of pastors, um, you know, a lot of Baptist pastors in Iowa, but also across the country, these Pentecostal pastors, um, influential pastors, uh, some of mega churches with tens of thousands um, of people, um, and a, and a lot of these folks also believe that you know 
Democrats are uh, demonic. Uh, they promote Christian nationalism, and they also um, tout Trump as chosen by God to save Christianity. Uh, and so, you know, those folks can be seen um, as messengers. You know, they pack churches in Iowa. Uh, I talked to one uh, pastor, Joel Tenney, who spoke at one of Trump's um, rallies uh, beforehand, and he told me that you cannot be Christian and vote for a Democrat. I mean, that is pretty extreme, but, you know, he says that is because of uh, the abortion and where Democrats are in terms of abortion. He also said that, uh, you know, Trump fought Goliath, and Goliath uh, is Roe v. Wade. So uh, these are folks uh, for whom politics and religion are one and the same. And increasingly so, it seems, and the rhetoric is getting increasingly incendiary, I gathered from reading your report and the report of so many others on the ground. I want to bring in now David Becker from the Center for Election Innovation and Research. Listeners know him. David's been on the show before. He's always been a good source of mine because he's the expert on how elections are run and how voters are perceiving the elections that they participate in. Since we had the first in the nation just last night, David, it's good to talk to you. Good to be with you, Todd. Thanks. So um, uh, just overall, well run in Iowa, smooth race, smooth caucus. How did it go? Yeah, we should remember. It appears it was fairly well run. Certainly the weather was an issue. But we should also remember, and this is very important, a caucus is not actually an election run by election officials in the country. A caucus ah. is a party-run endeavor, which is what it was in Iowa, where the Iowa Republican Party ran it, as is their right. They're choosing their nominee. They can do that how they choose. And they had one race on the ballot with five candidates. And even with a fairly simple paper ballot, this will be important to remember for November, it still took them most of the night to get through all of those roughly 110,000 ballots. And we're going to see well over 1,000 times that many ballots that are much, much longer in November. Um, it was cold that may have suppressed turnout somewhat. It was a chippy, nippy one in Iowa last night. Here's a NewsHour correspondent, Lisa Desjardins, who was on the ground. Do you think this weather is going to affect the caucuses at all, maybe older voters, or what do you think is going to happen? I don't think so. I, I, I think you see this today. I think the same thing's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I think as long as it's not snowing and, you know, and the weather and everything, uh, the roads are clear, I think people are still going to come out. You can actually hear in their lips that the, the, the paralyzing effect of deep cold weather in Iowa, they, they still did come out, but people were chilly. Um, David, there, there was, I don't know how much controversy there really was. Um, Ron DeSantis called election interference. He cried election interference last night because the AP, many of the papers, the news networks called the race very, very quickly after voting opened. Um, there's an axiom that a call isn't early if the call is right, and these calls were right. How do you approach the idea of, of calling a race before voting is done? Well, I, th I think there's also an axiom that you don't want a call by the media potentially influence the votes of voters who are still waiting to make their decision and cast their ballot. And I, and I think there is going to be some soul searching here about whether or not that call was made too early. I've already heard some amongst other members of the media, other networks who also called it early. Um, clearly, uh, there are reports from inside some of the caucus rooms that um, voters were getting alerts even before they had cast their ballots. And that can have an effect on whether people decide to turn out, whether they decide to cast a ballot, uh, just overall morale. 
Um, hopefully in future elections, we'll wait until certainly polls close in at least, you know, a particular jurisdiction before any calls are made. It, it's, you know, it, it's difficult sometimes because there are states, certainly when we get to November, there are states that we can pretty much call as soon as the polls close because we just know the margin's going to be so huge and we know what the tendencies are in those states. And yet we've got to wait for that to allow the states to actually vote. And there are sometimes surprises. And we saw several surprises in the last few elections. So it sounds like what you're saying here, the, the issue isn't making calls quickly or as soon as you know. The issue here, and maybe Ron DeSantis has a point, um, although I, I object to his claim that it's, the media has uh, election interference because they're in the tank for Trump. But it, but that putting that aside, um, it's OK to call a race quickly, but maybe not before people are done with a vote. That's how I would personally like to see it. And I think you're completely right. It's, this is not election interference. It did not change the outcome of the race in any way that we can um, infer here. Um, and we also have to be really careful in this environment where roughly two-thirds of all of the voters in the Iowa caucuses still believe the lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. Using terms like election interference or stolen elections can be really damaging to voter confidence. We should also remember that in 2016, it was a different candidate, Donald Trump, who claimed that the Iowa caucuses were rigged in some way against him. So, you know, this is, this is something that permeates our democracy right now. These lies about the elections that only come up when a candidate loses. And it would be far better if candidates who lose an election accept defeat and go on to fight the next battle. That's always been uh, one of the tenets of being enrolled in a democracy. It's pretty well – we're going to talk about some more data. It's pretty well destroyed at this point. And David, we're going to talk about the implications of that. Well, we're hearing from lots of you about the caucuses and the election in general. Jay emails to say, who are Republican voters today? The Republicans I remember from my youth have left the Republican Party and the current Republicans in my local area are extremists who recently joined. Is this the same party from 10 years ago? Jay, I think you – sort of answered your own question. But Mindy emails to say, very close to half the caucus attendees voted against Trump. How will these numbers translate in the general election, assuming that he earns the Republican nomination? How many of those who did not support him last night will fall in line behind him eventually? McKay, that sounds like a great question for you. Yeah, I mean, th this was the question in 2016, right? I mean, Trump uh, won that nomination largely by winning pluralities in uh, in many of the prime the state's primaries. And the question was, will he be able to unite the Republican Party behind him in the general election? Given you know what's happened in the eight years since then, I think we have pretty strong indications that most of the party will fall in line behind him. I think, in fact, there's it, we'll start to see it in the coming weeks if uh, Trump continues to perform as well as the polls show. You'll see uh, people like you know members of the Senate, governors start to come out and endorse him. People who had backed Ron DeSantis or other candidates will fall in line behind him. I don't actually think he has that much uh, to worry about in terms of getting uh, the party to line up behind him. I, I think the, the real question is whether those persuadable voters in the middle, so, you know, the suburban women, younger voters, people who aren't wild about Donald Trump or Joe Biden, if he'll have a message that resonates with them, because as you alluded to earlier, Tom, Todd, his most of his campaign so far has been about revenge. It's been about uh, the, you know, 
the idea that Democrats and the Justice Department are out to get him and and Republican primary voters have essentially uh, rewarded him for that. I don't know if that message will have the same effect on a general election audience. And I think he might need to find a new one uh, as he, if he wins the nomination. It's very interesting that, that the rhetoric and the strategies that you hear, not only in a primary, but this early in a primary, this early in a primary with a party whose base has become as polarized as this one is not necessarily a winning message in a general election. we got a long way to go. As I say all too often, way too often, we got about seven corners to go around before we find out the answer to that question. Um, David, while you're here, I got an important question I want to ask you just about how elections are run, how 2024 is going to be run in Iowa and elsewhere. Because back in June, Republicans in Iowa made a move that a lot of people, most people I'll say, didn't notice, but that could have huge implications for 2024. They pulled out of a thing called ERIC. ERIC is an acronym. What is ERIC and why was it so important that Republicans in Iowa said no thanks to ERIC? Yeah, ERIC stands for the Electronic Registration Information Center. It's a nonprofit consortium of about half the states in the country, all of whom have voluntarily chosen to join. Any state can join. It's completely bipartisan. It's completely nonprofit. There are states as red as Utah and South Carolina and Kentucky and states as blue as Oregon and Illinois and Connecticut in it. And what it does is it helps those states partner together to effectively share data to identify voters whose voter records might have changed since the last election, probably because they moved and also identify voters who might have died. It's an essential element of election integrity. It's helped states, again, half the states in the country, keep their voter lists much more up to date. And uh, what some states started seeing was an extremist disinformation campaign that attacked Eric with lies about who funded it and why it existed. And it's part of an overall attempt to undermine election integrity while claiming that elections need more security. We also see this, for instance, in some areas where they're trying to move to hand counts of ballots, which are far more costly, much less accurate, and take a much longer amount of time. And these are all efforts to increase the amount of chaos post-election where a losing candidate might be able to raise money and incite anger and potentially even violence. So, David, if you have a system, a nonprofit system that is designed to help state, you know, Idaho communicate with Iowa about somebody on the voter rolls who might have moved or might have died and keep those voter rolls clean and you check out and say, I don't want to be part of that anymore, what's the upshot for 2024? What happens in a world where that housekeeping on voter rolls doesn't exist anymore? Yeah, one of the things we noted in our research, I've been looking at this for 25 years, is that a lot of the problems that voters experience at the polls trace back to their voter record and differences in their voter record from their actual status, usually because they've moved. We live in a highly mobile culture. About a third of all Americans move in a four-year period of time. And keeping up with that mobility is really hard. And when someone shows up at a polling place and their voter record doesn't match, that can lead to long lines because as you try to figure that out, you can't handle the voters behind that person. And it can also lead to more provisional ballots. Provisional ballots are fail-safe ballots that someone can cast if there's no other way for them to cast a ballot because their voter record doesn't match. And if that happens, those ballots get counted last. They take longer to count. So again, this can lead to more chaos post-election 
for states that have left something like Eric. More chaos post-election is the message from David Becker there. Daniel emails to say, I'm in Wichita, Kansas, and I don't understand why so many people value the results in Iowa so much. Iowa is one state. Its demographic is hardly representative of the wider public. By all accounts, it shouldn't even have the weight that it does. And Mark emails to say, Trump's win in Iowa was inevitable. He's going to easily get the GOP nomination. The challenge will be to counter him with facts and get average Americans motivated and informed enough to see what a danger to the survival of our democracy a second Trump term would be. That's from Mark, and we'll have more from you and from our guests in just a moment. This message comes from Jackson. Let's face it, retirement planning can be confusing. At Jackson, we're working to make retirement clear for everyone, starting with you. Our easy-to-understand resources and user-friendly digital tools help simplify your entire experience. You can have confidence in your retirement with clarity from Jackson. Seek the clarity you deserve at Jackson.com. Jackson is short for Jackson Financial Incorporated, Jackson National Life Insurance Company, Lansing, Michigan, and Jackson National Life Insurance Company of New York. Purchase New York. All right, let's get back to our conversation on the Iowa caucuses and the road ahead. Well, Donald Trump's many legal problems have become inextricably intertwined with his campaign. There's no way around it. Even today, after enjoying last night's victory in Iowa, Trump is headed to New York for the second trial to determine damages for his defamation of writer Eugene Carroll. That trial gets underway today. Trump was already found civilly liable for sexually abusing Carroll in a New York department store in 1996, and he was ordered to pay $5 million for the abuse and for defaming her about that incident. Now, this trial will determine whether Trump has to pay even more damages for defaming her while he was president and after the first Carroll verdict. So that's all going on today. And I set that up only to say um, that Donald Trump was in court for a federal hearing and in New York uh, over his fraud trial last week in the run-up to voting. And Sophia, did that affect in any way his campaign efforts in Iowa? Did voters have a problem with it at all? Not at all. I think his voters, right, if by this time, you know, you haven't been turned off um, by the indictments, uh, as well as, you know, the fact that he faces four trials, um, you know, they're still very much with him and they will continue to be this year. You know, I should say that the uh, the legal appearances have really become a part of his political operation. I mean, his campaign um you know, I think wants the primary to be done as quickly as possible. But I think they want the cases to go on as long as possible because they help him politically. Um, they're expecting any any of the legal developments this year to have the same effect as the indictments did last year, which is to continue to give him boosts in the polls. And they know that. I mean, he spent much of the final week before the caucuses in Iowa in court that was by choice, um, you know, and because of that, in part, uh, he held only 24 events between January of 2023 and January 4th uh, of this year. I mean, that is just a fraction of what his opponents, uh, Haley and DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, spent in Iowa. Uh, and so, you know, we see that his 
uh, legal challenges are becoming a part of his campaign. But we also see that, you know, they're not necessarily hurting him uh, as as one may expect. Now, McKay, uh, Sophia makes it clear legal challenges have helped Donald Trump so far. Every time he's been indicted for yet another alleged crime, his polls have have gone up at least marginally. So going to last night, according to CNN and their polling, more than six in 10 Republican caucus goers said Donald Trump is still fit for office if he's convicted of a crime. But almost a third said he's not fit for office if he's convicted of a crime. What are the implications of those numbers? Again, it's just Iowa, but what do you what do you hear in those numbers? Well, I mean, it is it is notable that these are Republican caucus goers. I mean, look, you know, I think it, it is true, obviously, that it has been a motivating factor for his his supporters uh, to kind of uh, help him seek revenge against what they consider a weaponized justice system. Um, in fact, I think it should be noted that he was not required by the judge to be in the courtroom today. Um, you know, so that obviously begs the question, why did he decide to stop over in a courtroom in between winning the Iowa caucuses and heading to New Hampshire? He clearly sees this as aligned with his political message. Also, right? it's jury selection today. He does not have to be there. Of course. That said, um, you know, I think that there are a, a number of Republican primary voters who are uncomfortable with the idea of nominating someone who will have to spend the entire presidential campaign in courtrooms, uh, you know, battling criminal charges, civil charges. Uh, that is part of the calculation that Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are making. And this is part of why you, you sometimes hear from their supporters and allies that even if they continue to lose these primaries, they'll hang around because there's a there's an idea that perhaps if these legal challenges become overwhelming to Trump, uh, and in fact, and, and especially if he's convicted or pleads guilty, um, that uh, Republican voters, or at least some significant portion of them, will be looking for a new candidate, and so they'll need somebody else to be running. I don't know if that'll happen, but it clearly does. I mean, we're gonna we we should be honest with listeners here. This will be a real challenge for him. The money he will have to spend fighting all of these legal battles, the time he will have to spend off the campaign trail when you get to a general election is not necessarily going to continue to help him politically. It's going to be a distraction. And Republican primary voters are going to have to decide if they're okay with that distraction, if they want Trump that badly. Uh, Sophia, what are you hearing from Iowa caucus goers on the issue of stolen election, stolen from Trump. I, I guess we have to stipulate, yes, you have been covering the base of the base of the evangelical base of the party. So um, they may have um, a very particular and jaundiced view of the quality of the 2020 election, um, having heard Donald Trump lie about it so much. What have you heard from them on the ground? I mean, look, I think last night for Trump supporters, uh, it was a good night. You know, I heard no complaints from the Trump camp. Um, you know, we heard uh, a number of DeSantis supporters at his, um, you know, watch party that night, uh, as well as from the DeSantis campaign, uh, you know, say that uh, the election uh, was unfairly called by the media. Um, but I think, you know, the Iowa GOP party um, has been uh, meticulously prepared for the caucuses. I mean, uh, the day before uh, uh, caucus night, we heard from uh, the GOP chair, Jeff Kaufman, who said that um, he does not expect Trump to question the results at all. And I think that's because they were in touch with all of the campaigns from the 
uh, Binkley campaign all the way to the Trump campaign, telling them exactly how they're going to run uh, the caucus. Uh, they share the precinct chairs, they share precinct reporting, and all of that prep work that goes on in this party-run caucus process uh, is to ensure that, you know, the campaigns have no reason to challenge it afterwards. Maybe, but so, I mean, know, Sophia, I think- the, the, the reality of that, I'm, I'm sure that he believes that that's true, but despite good communication with the campaigns, the reality of it is had Donald Trump done much more poorly than 51 percent and lost to Ron DeSantis by a point, he would be crying stolen election. I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. He would be – yeah, I think he, he, he would be – he and his team and his supporters in Congress and his voters uh, will find some reason uh, to call the election unfair. I mean I think that's a very fair assumption and I think you know for that reason, uh, party chairs uh, across uh, the, the country um, have reason to be concerned uh, and also motivation to be more prepared. Well, we got just a couple minutes left in the hour. We want to look forward to New Hampshire very quickly. But McKay, while I have you here, I want to make sure that people – know about the article that you just wrote in The Atlantic this week. Um, You wrote that despite Donald Trump's massive leads, that Americans have mostly, believe it or not, become numb to Donald Trump. And you write, I propose a 2024 resolution for politically engaged Americans. Go to a Trump rally, not as a supporter or as a protester necessarily, but just go to observe, take in the scene, talk to his fans, listen to every word of the Republican frontrunner's speech. This might sound unpleasant to some, Consider it an act of civic hygiene. What will people learn if they take you up on it, McKay? Well, you know, look, I can tell you my impressions, and, and I will, but I, the, the, the premise of the article and, and why I, this has become kind of a hobby horse of mine is that I think that Donald Trump as a character in American life, as a presidential candidate, has blurred into abstraction for a lot of people. I think that, you know, if you cast your mind back to 2016, we spent a lot of time watching his stump speeches on TV and listening to them on the radio. And, um, you know, he, we, we almost everyone in America, whether you loved or hated him, had a very good sense of what Donald Trump stood for, what he was campaigning on, uh, what he was saying day to day on this stump. I don't think that's true anymore. I think a lot of people have made up their minds about Donald Trump and they've stopped listening to him very closely. And my argument is that it's important to pay attention, to tune back in. And, you know, look, I'm a journalist. I believe in the power of the news media. I think that most people who are covering this election are doing so in good faith and are are professionals. But people clearly have a lot of distrust for the media in all different directions. So my, my argument is go see for yourself, whether you're a supporter, whether you're an opponent, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, go listen to Donald Trump, see what he's saying. I think people will be surprised by um, just how much of his campaign is about his own personal grievances and vendettas. I think they might find that he's not nearly as uh, you know robust a public speaker as he was in 2016. I think they might uh, be put off by uh, some how much time he spends talking about uh, you know his legal issues. But those were my impressions. My impressions mm-hmm. were that he's lost his fastball. Maybe you'll you'll have a different impression. But I, I, my argument is the only way to know is to go see for yourself. I love the analogy, by the way. Nancy emails to say about Iowa, evangelical Christians aren't stupid. Many are just getting insufficient and misleading information, which might go to your point, McKay. Um, We got to go. I want to take a quick look toward New Hampshire for next week. Sophia, 
Nikki Haley polls much better in New Hampshire than she did in Iowa. In a word, what are you looking for? I'm sure we'll have a lot more time to talk about it. What's your What's your forecast or what are you looking for in New Hampshire? She will either need to win or deliver a much, much closer second than DeSantis delivered in Iowa to even make a case that she deserves uh, to uh, both stay in the race and um, have a good shot at taking on Trump. And if she's able to do that, she will take that momentum uh, and take that for several weeks into her home state of South Carolina, where uh, she, too, will have to deliver a really good result. Enough independence in New Hampshire to do this for her, do you think? Potentially. They're uh, more moderate, and those are the voters that she's looking for. Nikki Haley needs them if she's going to make it a more interesting race. By the way, I will say, a lot of experts are urging those of us in the political media and viewers to avoid the inevitability narrative. Some of you who wrote in said Donald Trump's inevitable. Maybe. But wait till New Hampshire, wait till South Carolina to avoid the inevitability narrative because, as another person emailed us, one out of two caucus goers in Iowa voted against Donald Trump. You just heard from Sophia Kai. She's national politics reporter at Axios, McKay Coppins with The Atlantic, and David Becker, executive director and founder of the Center for Election Innovation and Research. Today's show was produced by Arfi Getty and edited by Matthew Simonson. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington. It's distributed by NPR. I'm Todd Zwillick. Jen is back with you tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. The Capital One Venture X business card earns unlimited double miles on every purchase. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash VentureXBusiness. The world of podcasts can feel overwhelming. We'll let you in on the easiest way to find your next favorite show. Head to NPR.org slash podcasts. From politics to pop culture to music and everything in between, you'll find a selection of shows that'll make you a super fan in no time. 